second service. Wow, first service is actually louder today. Good morning, second service. There we go. Hey, uh, I'm excited to preach this morning. I'm also excited to class up my team since I was uh, on stage. I couldn't wear my jersey, so I got my Packers right here with me today. So I know, right, who's my Packers fans in the house? Oh, they all came to first service. Oh, I got two or three. I love it. All right. So uh, that's beside the point. Now let's get to the important stuff, which is Jesus. All right. So this morning, I'm excited to close out our detox series. We've been in a four-week series just diving into the word about, hey, what are some things we need to rid from our lives and detox from, all right? And so every week we've been talking about this, and that definition for detox is to abstain from or rid the body of toxic or unhealthy substances. And so that's what we've been talking about all four weeks, talking about just some soul care. What's going on in here, and what do we need to detox from? I'm going to close out our series this morning with some, uh, honestly, some tough ones. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, God, I'm just so glad we just gathered in the house this morning. God, as we dive into your word, we ask that you be with me. We ask that to be your words, not mine, for your words are wise. God, we ask that everybody in the room, as we just open up scripture, pull something from the text we're talking about this morning. We also thank for all those that are joining us online as they're worshiping with us together and in just an online community. God, we pray this all in your name. Amen. So detox. So as we've been diving into this series, we've talked about week one, I preached on busyness and priorities. Week two, Pastor Dan covered fear and the spinning plates. And then last week, Pastor Nate covered all the awesomeness of revenge and malice and how, what happens when that takes into our heart. So that's what we've talked about so far. Now this morning, I want to unpack two other things. Those two words we're going to unpack this morning are guilt and shame. Yeah, it's a fun message, all right? So do me a favor, online do me a favor too. I should have did this first service, but I didn't. little disclaimer, I might get a little bit more energetic than normal this morning, so do me a favor, so put on your seatbelt, just strap it in. I want to see it. I want to see it. All right? So just strap in, all right? And so what we're going to talk about this morning is shame and guilt, and there's a difference between those two words. The definition for the word guilt is this, to make someone feel guilty, especially in order to induce them into doing something. So for example, um, when Megan and I buy Oreos for the house, I might say, hey, I'm going to have four or five while I'm watching the Packers win their game today, but actually I have an entire sleeve. Because if you don't know this, that's why Oreos are made that way. There's three sleeves, so they should be, they should be eaten in three different sittings. All right, that's just how it goes. And then Megan makes me feel guilty. She's like, well, maybe I wanted some Oreos. And I'm like, well, we can just buy some more. We can never have too many Oreos. And that's, that's how guilt can come on. Now, shame is a totally different thing. Problem with shame is guilt's healthy because the Holy Spirit can guilt us when we do things that we shouldn't do or say things we shouldn't say. But shame is a condition of humiliating disgrace or disrepute. I love a definition where we have to define a word. Disrepute means your reputation is just shot. All right? A great 
just example of shame would be, uh, who in here are my dog lovers? Love, love, their, love their dogs. Dog lovers. When you take your dog and you get them fixed, whatever way that is, and they put that cone on their head, and that dog comes home and just lays there on the floor for like six weeks because it's the most depressed animal in the world. That's the cone of shame. It feels like it's lost all of its reputation. It's lost everything in its life because of what you did to it. That's shame. And church, what I want to talk about this morning is guilt is healthy to feel. It is. We should feel guilt. But is shame healthy to feel? And that's what we're diving into this morning. I'm going to let you know where we're going to be is Luke chapter 7. We're going to camp out there pretty much all morning long. Online, you can go to the, just the, the Bible app. You can do that in the house as well. Or you can turn in the Bible and go old school. So Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. I'm going to unpack this entire story. We're going to read it through once, and then we're going to dive through it verse by verse. But before I do read it, I want to say this. What we're about to see is Jesus encountering a Pharisee. His name's Simon, okay? And what we do know from Scripture, and also a couple more times in the Gospel of Luke, anytime Jesus encounters a Pharisee, fireworks kind of happen. All right? And some bad stuff happens, and usually not for Jesus. All right? So let's go ahead and dive in. Starting in verse 36, it says this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. Verse 37. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I have came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. Verse 46, You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Now I want to unpack that story. But before I unpack it, I want you to know that, that when you read through the Gospels, all right, the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they're kind of the same, and then you have John, you have a similar story in the other Gospels, like John chapter 12. I want you to know these are different stories. And how I know that to be true is, first off, they're different teaching points. This one's about repentance. The other one's about being, spending lavish and money. I know there's a different timeline when these happen. The story we're talking about today happened early on in Jesus' Galilean ministry when the other one in John 12 actually happened the week before he was crucified, and they happened at different places. 
The one in John talked about the house of the leper. Here's the house of the Pharisees. So when you guys read those stories, don't get them confused. But we're going to focus on Luke chapter 7. And as we do that, I want you to look at this story through two different viewpoints. We're going to look at two different people's perspectives. Simon's and the woman's. All right, Those are the two viewpoints we're going to hit. So let's go ahead and let's unpack this. We'll take it one step at a time. Starting in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, the woman of the city, who is a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Let's stop there. If you're an outsider looking in, first off, this story sounds kind of awkward. All right, but let's unpack it. Number one, I want to say this. A woman of the city who is a sinner. You've probably have heard before that we think that this person was a lady of the night. I'm, I'm saying that for an example because I don't know what kind of young kids I got in the audience, okay? Explain to your kids if you want to. So most people might assume that, but we don't know that from Scripture. We do not know that. That's the assumption that's drawn, but we, we just know that she's, a, she's sinful, but we don't know what it is. When she learned that he was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Understand in the first century, people smelled bad. Just saying it. All right? So if you can imagine junior high ice camp with Pastor Kevin, that's about what it probably smelled like. All right? So when you look at this, so the ladies back in that time would probably wear a little bit of flask around their neck, a translucent piece of, of glass that had ointment in it. It was a perfumey smell, and they'd use it to freshen up, or they would use it just to make sure they smelled nice after they bathed. So that's what she has around her neck. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet. In the first century, when you ate dinner at somebody's house, you did it a little bit different than we do now today. First off, the table is like merely inches off the ground, and you're physically laying on pillows at the table. Jesus, being the guest of honor, would have had his chest towards Simon because he was the guest of honor. It would look like this. So I'd put it on the screen for me. That's how it would have looked, all right? And so she comes in the house. She goes behind Jesus and starts to, to wash his feet. First off, let's go ahead and say this. Who wants to have dinner that way tonight? All right, just cut your legs off your table, have some pillows, have a great time. You can just say, hey, going back to Jesus time. But she comes in, and she starts to do this. She starts to wet his feet with her tears, that word wet, when we look at that in the Greek, what's fun about that word is it means to rain down. She's really profusely crying. I'm talking about like an ugly cry. Who's ever had an ugly cry? It almost got like, it got kind of almost snotty almost, you know, and then you start laughing because you realize you're crying so ugly. Okay, whatever. That's kind of what's happening here. So obviously something's going on with her. Something's happening to her. Something's going on in her life. And here's what happens later, starting in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Let's switch gears for a second. Simon sees this. If this man were a prophet, he would know what she is. Now, before we start giving Simon a bad rap, 
I want you guys to know, we have knowledge that Simon does not have. We know that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Okay, yes, you could have said, hey, he should have known this by now. But hey, as a Pharisee, he's grown up as a religious leader. He's been trained. And one of their jobs is to sort out false teacher and real. That's one of their jobs. So he's invited Jesus over to be like, aha, caught you. That's what he's done. And so his, his phrasing with this and what he thinks of the woman is, man, if Jesus really knew who this was, he wouldn't allow her to do that. We look at Simon and we're like, man, what kind of guy is that? But church, let's ask ourselves, how often do we look at somebody that might be dirty in our mind and we think, ah, mm-hmm. How often do we see someone that might be completely broken, like, ah, man, they're messy. Here's what Jesus teaches him. 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Jesus is like the master teacher. That's just who Jesus is. Simon's not getting a point here. So Jesus says it in this awesome way of knowing that Simon's going to listen. He talks about money, which by the way, the Pharisees cared about. So he knows he's going to listen. And he talks about debts and repaying of debts. And then he asks Simon this question, who do you think will love him more? Well, the one that had more debt. And Jesus said, you know what, you're right. And what's funny is what Jesus is doing in that moment is he has set the hook for what's about to happen. 44, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. There's a lot of cultural stuff in there I want to talk about. Number one, Jesus was invited to Simon's house. One of the customs in first century Israel, when you walked into somebody's house, as a Jew especially... They probably, if they were affluent, had a servant there with a bowl of water, and that servant's job was to wash your feet. Let's talk about feet for a second in the first century. You're in awesome Jesus sandals. You know, we we love talking about Jesus sandals. And you you walk around outside. Let me tell you something. There's not really running water in first century Jerusalem. So they're walking through feces. They're walking through urine. They're walking through dirt. They're walking through animal feces. That's what they're walking through. Now, who wants to sign up for the job of foot washer when you walk in the door? Yeah, no one wants that job. Most of the time, if you weren't in a fluent household, it was saved for the youngest child. So youngest children, there you go. You can practice that at home later. And so that didn't happen. Simon doesn't show Jesus this custom and this courtesy. And then you gave me no kiss, and we're sitting here like Americans going, whoa, this is getting kind of weird. Don't want some dude kissing me when I walk in the door. That's just me personally, all right? Don't want it. Well, at this time, guys, when you walk in somewhere, you know, Romans 12 or 16, 16 tells us that greet your brother with a holy kiss. That would have been a, a slight kiss on the cheek, 
All right, so go ahead and practice that with your neighbor now, except for the front row. <laughs> I was kidding, it's COVID. We're not doing that, it's COVID. I apologize. And that's what a bit another custom as somebody walked in the house of welcoming them in as a host and bringing them into your house. And Jesus says, you didn't do that, but she hasn't ceased kissing my feet. And guys, understand, Jesus told that entire little story about the debtors. And she's still doing this. You didn't give me oil, but she broke open this jar and anointed my feet with this ointment, which honestly, according to John, it would probably be almost a year's salary of that ointment is what it would cost. And it makes us ask the question, man, what's wrong with her? Man, what's going on in her life? You know, some of us might be like, man, she's just got to be weird to do this. But understand her context, her story. She probably knows of Jesus. She's heard about the miracles he's performed. She's heard about the greatness. And she wanted to get a chance to get to know him, to know him. And I don't know what she's got going on in her life. We know that she has struggled in sin. Don't know what that is, but we can assume what it might be. And she's done with it. This is overflowing inside of her. And Simon doesn't get it. Just like some of we don't. He sees this brokenness coming to Jesus. And he's like, man, if Jesus knew who she was, he would not let her do that. Because here's the point that Simon missed. Simon's sitting here going, if he was a prophet, but what Simon didn't realize is this guy's the savior. He's not just a prophet. And this woman comes in broken, at Jesus' feet. So how do we relate to this story? What do we get from this story? What does this have to do with guilt and shame? Church, don't try telling me that we don't walk around with shame today. Pastor Nate did a great job last week of talking about how revenge and malice, how that can seek into our heart and how it's divided us as people. We literally argue about everything. Whether we talk about the political climate, which we could spend about, you know, 17 hours of a sermon on that, or we talk about community, or mask, or how to handle this, or that, it's an argument. So that got me thinking, what's the problem? What is the problem? Is it that we're too busy? Is it that we have too much fear, and it's not fear of God? Is it that we've let revenge and malice just take over our heart? Or is it the fact that there's something dividing us as an individual? Because church, whether we know it or not, the problem's not the world. The problem's not the country. The problem's not our community. The problem's not our home. The problem's us. We ask why people do what they do. It's because they're struggling with something. Something's going on inside. It's a heart issue. And we battle it just as much in the church. As we see this woman and she's holding on to something, I have to ask this, how does this apply to us? What are we holding on to? What are we holding on to? What do we have deep, buried deep down that, my goodness, if anybody even caught wind of it, we'd be like so ashamed. We don't want to talk to Jesus or God about it because, man, I'd be embarrassed to talk to God about it even though he already knows. 
Because the example we can learn from this woman is that the fact that she's done with it. And she's doing the right thing. She's going to the feet of Jesus. So what are we holding on to? What am I holding on to? Better yet, what's weighing us down? Because, for example, I have some luggage pieces on here, right? You know, maybe it's what it is is like, you're like, you know what? Yeah, Chase, I get it. I, I, got some, I got some gossip. I mean, I got some greed. Maybe we look at the story of the woman. It's like, you know, hey, she struggled maybe with lust if we're going to go with that sin issue. She struggled with the desire for money. She struggled with greed. And so she carries this around with her constantly. It weighs her down and she carries it with her constantly. Simon sees it and I was like, huh, what's up? You got two bags? I only got one. But what's funny is, when we break into Megan's weekend luggage, you know, when you break into it, all of a sudden, these other things just start popping out. And really what it is, is even though Simon thinks that he's so much better, he struggled just as much. And church, we do it today. And for some reason, we start looking like this. We're carrying around like, oh man, we look normal. We look so normal. We look like idiots. For some reason, we think we have the answer, but we're still holding on to the shame. When is it going to be time that says, no, I'm done with this? When are we going to be tired? When are we going to have the heart of the woman and say, I need to go to the feet of Jesus? What is weighing you down? Is anything weighing you down? Have we forgotten about what's weighing us down? What are we running from? Church, I, I think what we need to realize is the problem with shame is it causes a disconnect. The problem with shame is it causes a disconnect. And what I mean by that is this. When we have this sin that we have just buried deep down under layer and layer, it starts to have a disconnect with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family, with our spouse with God. Because we all of a sudden think that, oh man, this is hidden. But let's be honest. Lying is hard. Lying to ourselves is hard. So we walk around with this and don't want anybody to see it, so we just act like things are normal. When I talk to other pastors and they ask me, man, how do you read people or how, how do you work in this? I tell them, simple. You look at the person you think has got the most well put together and they're about two seconds from breaking down and crying. Is are. Because they've gotten so good at carrying this that it almost looks normal. And what I'm saying is there's a different answer to that. When we talk about detox, detoxing from that busyness, detoxing from that fear, detoxing from that revenge, we need to talk about how to detox from this trash that's in our life that's caused this shame. Because church, it's okay to feel guilty. It's okay to feel guilty about having this. It's not okay to let it ruin your reputation and to let it completely Identify who you are. Because the reason we struggle with this so hard and the reason we struggle in life so much is I believe we have truly forgotten who we are. We have truly forgotten who we are. And you might be like, oh man, here goes past Chase with some kind of identity speech. And you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. Maybe we need it. Maybe we need to recall who we are. Maybe you don't remember what God thinks about you. Maybe you don't know what God says about you. But what I know is this, 
That in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God calls you a new creation. In 1 Peter 2, he calls you chosen. In John 1, he calls you children of God. In Ephesians 2, he calls you his workmanship. In Romans 8, he calls you more than conquerors. And later in Romans 8, we are the heirs of Christ. Have we forgotten who we are, church? When we let this world divide us. Because what Simon missed was this. The guy wasn't a prophet. It was the Savior. Where's our hope? Our hope is supposed to be in this risen Savior that tells us that we are heirs of Christ. That we are his workmanship. He's crafting us daily and making us new. Later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says this, verse 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. I don't say this to try to beat anybody or myself up. I say this because, my goodness, I think we've lost our job description along the way. If we call ourselves Christ followers and we say, you know what, I, I, I'm a part of Christ, then we should have learned that this doesn't happen anymore. We leave this at the feet of the cross. That's what brought us to Jesus in the first place, was we realized that we can't do this alone. And as seasoned Christians, maybe we're struggling with that because maybe we've picked up with that Simon mentality of, man, at least I'm not that broken. At least I'm not hooked on heroin. When was that the standard? When did that become the bar? When did we lose the idea that we're supposed to be ambassadors of Christ because God found me broken? And he's going to use my testimony to show someone else that their brokenness is okay and he wants to heal them. We've lost that. Instead, we light people up on Facebook. We light people up on text messages. We have hard phone calls. We put our faith in a political party. We put our faith in a nation instead of where it always has belonged and the cross is Jesus is where our post is. Hope is found. You know what the great thing about that is? You know the great thing about putting our hope in Jesus over political party, over, over a, a football team, over a country, over everything, is that person never loses. He won eternally and he won for us because he who knew no sin brought it to the cross because he said, Chase, I don't want you carrying this around all the time. I know your eyes are wondering. I know your speech isn't always the best because it's not. And about 3.45 today, it might not be good. I'll have to work on that. <laughs> he knows that. But church, it's okay. Now, don't hear what Chase is not preaching. I'm not saying, hey, go home and sin. I'm saying, guys, self-evaluate and say, hey, do we have something we got to lay? Do we need to be the woman today and lay this down? The coolest ending of that story, and I love this ending. Jesus closes with this, verse 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When I read that, 
And I look at that, and I look at our world today, I look at our nation, our communities, our families. I see divorce, I see division. I see what we're looking for. We're all looking for peace. We're all looking to quiet our souls. We're all looking for some kind of joy. And I'm telling you right now, the only way to get peace is through God's forgiveness. That is where peace is found. Ready? I'm gonna tell you right now, peace is not gonna be found in just making sure your marriage is okay. Peace is not gonna be found in just making sure your relationship with your kids is okay. Peace is not gonna be found if you get raised at work. Peace is not found in the politics of this world. True peace that lasts eternally is only found in God's forgiveness. That he said, I'm offering to us. I'm offering to you. I want to do something a little different this morning. I, I want to talk to both crowds for a second, and I'm going to split you up into two crowds. Maybe you know Jesus and you belong to him. And you're like, hey, I know this Jesus and church thing. Okay, I'm going to talk to you in a minute. Maybe you're in here and you're saying, you know what? I've never really truly put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. First off, emotional aside from this pastor, it's awesome. Hands down. But beside that, I want you to know that if you're looking for how to mend your heart, mend your soul, get rid of this baggage and trash of life, hear me on this. I'm not saying your life will be perfect when you accept Christ. But what I'm saying is this, your life will be eternally perfect when you accept Christ. There's a difference. Christ doesn't say, if you come to me, I will forgive you of all consequence of everything you've ever done. No. God told us if we come to Christ that we get to spend eternal glory with him. Man, and that's the prize. That is the prize. That is so much more valuable to me than anything else in this 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 world. And maybe this morning for the first time, if that's a decision you're wanting to make, we're going to have a time of prayer in a second. You can raise your hand in the audience, but I want you to know online you can raise your hand as well. But if you want to make that decision, myself, Pastor Dan, Pastor Dan, we want to know you. We want to have that conversation because we want to be excited with you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, as a pastor, that is like our Super Bowl. That is the greatest moment we get to have as pastors. So we want to have those fun conversations. Don't take that away from us. So there's an option for you. All you got to do is text "Go Jesus" to 97,000, all right? By the way, I never thought we'd be texting in decisions. That is so cool. I've never thought it would happen. But that's the way you can do it this morning. If you need to make that commitment for the first time, you said, I'm tired of being lost, I want you to go ahead and text that in. That's going to stay on the screen, and somebody will talk to you. The other side of the crowd. Maybe you've been like, Chase, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this before you were even born. All right, that's awesome. That is great. Have you remembered, have I remembered, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 told us we are ambassadors for Christ. Because we ask this question all the time, what's going to fix our world? What's going to fix our neighborhoods? What's going to fix our household? What's going to fix our marriage? You know what's going to fix it? The hope that is Jesus displayed through us. Do you know what helps? you know what makes a healthy marriage? When one spouse realizes that most of the time that one of the two of you have to be Jesus in the relationship. I'll be honest. We're not, you're not always going to agree with your spouse. 
And sometimes you have to say, you know what? All right, I get it. We, we can do it this way. Or when one of us messes up, most times it's the husband. I get that, whatever. It has to be, hey, I forgive you. Forgiveness is what keeps this whole thing together. That's why it's crafted after the one thing that God knew worked. Forgiveness of sins comes through us recognizing from the forgiveness of Christ, we have eternal glory with him. Those are my just objectives to you today. Ask yourself what you need to do. Ask yourself where you're at. Evaluate that. I'm telling you right now, it has been fun to preach this detox series. Four weeks of just doing this, of just soul searching and saying, hey, how do we rid ourselves of this garbage? Who's enjoyed this sermon series? Anybody? I love this sermon series, yeah. And so what I want to say to you is this. Don't lose this. This isn't just a one-week thing, a two-week thing, a three-week thing. Keep working on this. Lifelong. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful that we can just gather here this morning online, in person. God, that we can just unpack your word and remember how much you love us. The fact of how many times you identify us in scripture as your creation and you call us children. You call us heirs. The love you have for us, so much so that you sent your son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. Man, we are eternally grateful and undeserving. God, this morning, I'm going to raise up the first crowd. If there's anybody in the room that says, you know what, I need to own this for the first time, they're just going to shoot up a hand to the heavens to you right now. If they're saying, you know what, I need to belong to Christ for the first time in my life and I want this, they're going to just shoot up a hand to you and we pray for them. God, those individuals, whether online or in person, as they commit their lives to you and say, you know what, Jesus, I believe in you, I believe that you were sent by God, you are the Messiah, and you are wanting to save my soul. And I accept you into my life as my Lord and Savior. For the rest of us in the room that say, you know what, we have baggage, and for some reason we've picked up garbage that we knew we shouldn't have. May we lay that this morning at your feet and not pick it back up. I'm tired of being ashamed. I'm okay feeling guilty, but I'm tired of being ashamed because we are valued in your eyes. God, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.